HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The in them rhythm and blues that Sam It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. How are you? I mean, you know, still trapped in my apartment in a pandemic in New York City. Uh, same, same as you, I assume. Yep. Yeah, pretty much uh, same same old, same old. Still here in the virtual studio, a.k.a. a tiny Ikea desk in my tiny Brooklyn apartment. <laughs> uh, we're uh, missing Damon today, by the way. He's, uh, he's moving, but he sends his regards uh, to everybody well, out there listening. He's moving, and he's also celebrating uh, his one-year anniversary with his lovely lady, so... Oh, yeah, uh, that's true. So he's got better things to do than hang out with two sweaty dudes in their apartments. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, we miss him, but, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got bigger fish to fry today. Very true. Uh, how are you holding up? I mean, this is, you know, I don't even know. I have a lo- I've lost count on which show number this is that we've done in this uh, virtual situation. How are you holding up? I'm holding up all right, man. It's been, um, I mean, you, yeah, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's been kind of a tough week for the industry up here in New York. There was a lot of kind of um, stressful news that came out on Thursday. And then over the weekend, I think a lot of uh, proprietors, yourself very much included, were were struggling to figure out, okay, where do we go from here? But it's, um, I've been thinking and, and talking a lot about Sort of, you know, we. I, I think this is when it's really starting to sink in that like this isn't going to go away for six months if we're lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. At first, um, I was actually talking with some people that I was working with uh, on the last day that I did work about how I left a bunch of stuff on our old bar because I was like, I won't need this for the next six weeks. I can come back and get it in the in the beautiful naivete that we all had back in mid March. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now it's I've been I've been talking a lot and having a lot of conversations about what we do now that, you know, we're we're sort of in this limbo where it's not we know for a fact that it's not safe to go indoors. So what do we do? You know, um, I was actually on uh, the Modern Bar Cart podcast on Monday with Eric Koslick, which was a ton of fun. It's a great show if, if you don't listen to it. And you listen to the speakeasy. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say you're gonna want to listen to Modern Bar Cart too. Yeah, it's a great, um, it's a great show. Great show. 
Um, but we were talking about some legislation that's coming up uh, for a vote in Congress, specifically the Restaurants Act, to help provide some very targeted, very tailored assistance to independent restaurants in this country, of which there are about half a million. And just kind of like, yeah, where, where it's a time to really... It's a time of reckoning of like we're truly, I think, finally staring down the grim reality of an uncertain future, you know? So it's um, it's been a lot. Uh, How was your week? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an uncertain future. It's an uncertain today, you know. Um, as you mentioned, last Thursday, new regulations laid down on New York uh, City's uh, bar and restaurants, um, uh, including the fact that now we're required to sell food with drinks. Uh, it must, quote-unquote, resemble a meal. So lots of bars who don't even have kitchens are really scrambling to try and figure out how to make something like that happen which which first of all like i don't know who you're talking to where a bag of chips doesn't resemble a meal but clearly they didn't consult any bartenders in this like a yeah. bag of chips is a feast on on a large number of days that i've worked but, uh, but indeed right indeed um so you know we're scrambling around to meet those requirements we were scrambling around to meet the requirements of the stanchions that we were that we built into the parking lot or the parking spaces rather um you know, uh, they changed those uh, about a weekend into, you know, operations. So it's been a, a very difficult time. And, you know, I said to you off air and I'll say it on the air, too. Uh, it's a failure. You know, we're not running at anything even close to a profit. We have to, uh, uh, because of the size and nature, sheerly, of just walking so far from the bar to the guest, um, well, you know, we have to operate with a minimum of double the labor. And on the weekends, we're, we're doing triple the normal labor. Um, and we're taking in less than a quarter of revenue. So it's already an operational failure. Um, and compounding that is that, you know, Amori Margo, I didn't have tables and chairs and a canopy. And I certainly didn't have stanchions that I, you know, had custom built and then had to change. We never offered food before. So at this point, I can already see that, you know, as, you know, granted, it's, you know, crazy hot out right now, 90 degrees. But I don't foresee being able to pay for all the things that I've purchased um, before it's too cold outside to continue to serve people outside. So we're already operating every single day we open is a loss, and we, want, we aren't going to pay for the things that we had to purchase to, to be able to open and lose money every day. So, you know, we're in a, a real pickle here. And, you know, again, I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm hopeful but not confident that we're going to make it through this. Um, and I feel that that's the same for everyone. You know, the National Restaurant Association, the, the good NRA, they predict that... <laughs> They, they, they're predicting that 85%, that's 85, you're not mishearing me, 85% of all sole proprietorships will close by, by January. Eight and a half out of 10 sole proprietorships. Um, and, you know, I'd be foolish to say to myself, well, I'm impervious to this statistic. Uh, I'm a sole proprietorship, and these are the facts. So, you know, it's bleak uh, is, the, is the big answer. But we're still out there, and we're still fighting. Um, at this point, we're trying to just view our sidewalk cafe as PR, uh, just a, a signal to our our guests and, and our fans that we're here, and we're going to try and be here when this is over. Um, but frankly, with each passing day, it, it seems a more grim perspective. Reminds me of the, uh, the, the Simpsons episode where uh, Bart gets stuck down a well, and they're trying to... Oh, no, it's a, it's a different episode, but that's not important. The important part is the joke, is they're all... <laughs> in a hole and they're stuck and they, you know, they're, they're talking to themselves like, wait, how are we going to get out of this hole? We'll dig our way out. Like that's sort of, I yeah. think about that 
in my in my moments of darker humor looking at this whole situation it's like there's no way out of this hole except just to keep on digging yeah i mean you know it's uh, it's a very common thing human nature to uh, employ gallows humor when things are dire and bleak and and we're all doing that you know uh, we're all sort of laughing at this uh, frankly, somewhat impossible situation. And uh, again, uh, the phrase I continue to use is hopeful, but not confident. Um, so that keeps me grounded. It keeps the people around me grounded. You know, I'm not holding any punches when when even guests ask me, you know, how are things? I'm like, oh, they're terrible. You know, they're abjectly terrible. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, we don't have Damon on today to be the, the positive light to my negativity. <laughs> um, he's usually the, uh, the optimi- optimism to my pessimism. Uh, but this last week really kind of like kneecapped us. You know, we were already hobbled. We were already limping along. We were already, you know, uh, not making ends meet. And then we had to spend a lot of money to continue to not make ends meet. So uh, it's rough and tumble. And, you know, I'm I'm just uh, at this point, uh, every day I wake up and I just try and like uh, face the thing as best I can and put one foot in front of the other and, and keep marching forward. You know, uh, Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you're 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 out there. You know, the days that you are, you and Blake are, are out there fighting the good fight, and you know, trying to keep a sense of normalcy for everybody else. I mean, yeah, it's kind of it, it. Churchill is fitting because it reminds me of you know the very sort of grim, steely determination of hey, everything's going to hell around you, but you know, we gotta life has to go on. You gotta you gotta keep putting one front one foot in front of the other until you until we eventually get through this um uh, yeah, speaking and, and and you know I'll, I'll i'll end our banter with saying like you know <laughs> when, when you say we got to keep putting one foot in front of the other until we eventually get through this we may not all get through it is also another part you have to remember that's true um and it, and the statistics dic- dictate that apparently a lot of us aren't going to get through it so it's good to be mindful of those things you know people are scrambling and doing everything they can i don't know uh if you saw nightcap one of my favorite bars in the lower east side um they are uh doing a two-day flash sale and they're selling off all their inventory in a in a sort of a last ditch effort to turn liquid into liquid you know liquidating their liquid into money so that they can stay afloat for you know hopefully another couple of weeks and 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 then if things don't change who knows if they're gonna make it back you know like we're all in this terrible situation and i feel like we're prideful uh, in a lot of ways, and we're also so hospitable that we sometimes don't want to let people see what's behind the curtain. But it's bleak right now, and I think it, I think the more people know, the better. Because the unfortunate truth is people are coming to my cafe, and they're seeing that I have all this space because I have three parking spaces and a sidewalk. And they're saying, this is much bigger than inside, but they don't realize that the seating is still smaller than what I had inside. And I'm never at capacity. We've never really gone on a wait at the cafe. Uh, and people stay longer and drink less at the cafe, uh, and it takes more labor to do it. You know, like they, they, the the public's perception is this looks like su- like success, uh, when the reality is this is actually worse than not success. It's we're not even flatlining; we're 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 dipping in. So, you know, public perception and and the realities that we face are pretty pretty disparate at the moment. Anyways, let's get to something <laughs> more positive. <laughs> Why don't yes, you uh, <laughs> yeah take us somewhere? <laughs> Yeah, totally. So today, joining us in the virtual studio from the amazing city of Washington, D.C., we've got uh, Andrew Johnson, uh, a.k.a. AJ. She's the managing partner at Serenata and Zumo. She's the co-founder of the DMV Black Restaurant Week, founder of White Plates Black Faces, and she's talking to us today about her latest project. She's the founder of the Back to Black Cocktail Pop-Up. 
that's a hell of a resume, AJ. Welcome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Yeah. Of course. Of course. It's it's so awesome to have you on. I you know I'm a native Washingtonian. I live in New York now, so I haven't been able to partake of what you guys are doing down there. But I it has been all over my friends' Instagrams who are still in the DMV, and it looks uh, amazing. Everybody is saying that you guys are really killing it down there. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think for us, it was very difficult to try to pull this off during this time, right? Like doing a cocktail pop-up in the middle of a pandemic when bars are shut down and this and the third. Um, But with the rules, I think that we have down here, um, you know, we had the proper PPE, we were able to get the proper packaging and we had a lot of help. Um, And so we were were able to pull it off. And I, I will say I have some amazing friends and extremely talented friends. Uh, that were able to uh, to get this off the ground and make it as big as it as it needed to be. Paint, paint a, AJ, paint a picture for me and the listener. What, what what does it look like when I, the guest, arrive, or or you, the bartender, are setting up? What does this uh, pop up look like during this time? Uh, so the way that we did our first pop up on June twenty seventh and twenty eighth um, was more so that there was a table with me and another person there checking you in. Um, everybody pre orders. Uh, for the most part. So all of your stuff is ready to go. Um, And it was in 30 minute intervals. So it wasn't crowded at the table. There wasn't a big crowd around the bar because we can't obviously have people standing at the bar or sitting at the bar. Um, And all of the storytellers or bartenders um, that then became organizers for this next one uh, were back there putting their cocktails into the bags, making sure that those were all set uh, and then handing it to you. Um, we do have seating here um, at Serenata because we are inside of a marketplace. So they set up tables out front uh, for phase one. Uh, and then a week before, <laughs> obviously, we set up with all these restrictions on how we were going to serve. Uh, but a week before, Mayor Bowser said that we could uh, open up for phase two. So then the marketplace had seating inside. Uh, but we didn't change the way that we were going to do this pop-up. We went ahead and, and kept it as safe as, as, safe as possible, uh, making sure that we... Um, we are mindful of all the social distancing uh, things that we need to be mindful of. Absolutely. So when so uh, got gotta love the great sanitizing power of this sunlight that's bearing <laughs> down on us all the time. It does put yeah. it does put how hot and muggy it is into a nice perspective. It's like when I'm out and roasting, I'm like, well, at least it's killing all the germs. So yeah. so I mean, so there's definitely that. <laughs> So where in, in D.C. is this happening? And when the, the inside marketplace opened up, were you, were you all sort of the, like the, the flagship of you know, the, the kind of anchor business, quote unquote, that was there right when the whole place started to reopen again? Yes. So again, for Back to Black, we are moving it around the city. So the next one on August 1st and 2nd um, is actually going to be at Roy Boy's uh, Shaw location. But the first one that we did was at Serenata at my bar. Um, and yeah, I mean, Serenata and I guess La Cosecha opened up uh, September. Um, and we were doing uh, larger parties and things like that. And then we officially opened here at Serenata on October 10th. Um, there were about three or four businesses that opened with us. But for the most part, we were the only thing really in the market uh, serving food or selling drinks and things like that. Uh, and so it's been, you know, it was it was a definitely an uphill battle sort of going through, but it also gave us a chance to establish our own name. Um, and we are sort of centered right in the middle of the space. Um, so 
we we've had the opportunity to sort of build our clientele in that way. But when when COVID hit, I think we were we were in a place of well, are we going to keep going or we want to stop? And we're like, I think we keep going. Uh, we figured out ways to pivot. You know, my business may not be right in front of me, but there is a way to create an interaction with people um, and through cocktails. And what we found was is that doing online or doing interactive things or doing one-off pop-ups and collaboration was the best way to go about this and really push forward with our business. How, um, how successful was the first one? Like, uh, you know, I don't need numbers necessarily, but like how successful do you think you were as far as profit margin or or making, you know, making, making it worth your while, making it worth the people's while? So, uh, you know, this was a project that I started with, you know, money out of my own pocket. Um, I wanted to make sure that the storytellers had the tools, the resources, the products that they wanted to use. Um, we didn't ask for brand help except for the brands that storytellers actually wanted to use. So where we could get product, we could, um, and we did. Um, I had one private investor who helped me out, sort of push through getting citrus and things like that. So when I say that, like, it, how successful was it? We didn't make money, um, and that's not the point. Um, my goal is to pay every single storyteller and every organizer that helped get this started. Um, and that is a very real thing. Uh, but again, that money comes out of my pocket directly. Um, in terms of how successful we were, I think a, raising $11,000 in a week is pretty successful. Um, I mean, yeah, in these times, that, again, in these that times went, that's, a, that's a hell of a number, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And that went to, that was split between, um, not evenly, obviously, it was done and determined by what was bought because each storyteller picked a charity that they were donating to, a charity or organization that they were donating to. So we split that up in the ways, depending on the sales of those, the singular products. Sure, weighted average or what have you. Um, can you, you've said the word storyteller numerous times here. Can you tell me what, what that means to this uh, pop-up and, and how that works? Uh, most definitely. So uh, back to black, uh, if you've ever seen our logo, I don't know if you've been um, on our IG yet um, or seen any of the, um, the verbiage or visuals that we put out, but our logo is back with redacted lines and then two more redacted lines and it says two and then one more redacted line that says black. Um, and the redacted lines, we really sort of wanted to play on that, that, that federal government, CIA, FBI, sort of like crossing out all of, the, um, all of the text and only leaving the story that you want to be told. And I think when it comes to um, injustices, fascism, things like that, or things that are hidden um, by oppressors, that means that there's only one story told. And for us, it was about telling the parts that we want to tell because they haven't been told in that way. And so, yes, we are bartenders, but at the end of the day, we spend all of our time in our businesses, um, telling other people's stories, telling the stories of the people that own our businesses instead of being able to um, spend time on telling the stories that we wanna tell as people about our heritage. And so that's why I call the bartenders um, or the people that are donating their time and their efforts storytellers in this aspect. Yeah, right on. Uh, and and how do you feel that the, the average guest is receiving the message? Do you, do you feel like they're, they get it or they're just excited to be out and about and doing something and, uh, you know, or there's a mix, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure there's a mix, right? But I think that um, for people that know me, uh, they know that I don't really do anything without, um, 
without having some sort of conscious message behind it. Uh, and so on each package of cocktails, um, I had asked our storytellers to write a story, um, an anecdote, um, sort of un giving the person who bought their cocktail a little bit more insight into who they are. So that's not something that we necessarily put on to social media. That's not something that we are adding and including in, in the in the messaging that goes out to everybody. If you buy that particular cocktail, you're getting an individual look into that person. And so uh, there were a lot of people who like posted those stories, read them, um, have commented personally and you know socially in terms of uh, what we've been trying to do. And I think it was a little bit of both. Um, the biggest comment I think that we had was that, hey, like we get great cocktails and everything's going to a great cause as well. Uh, and that is something that I think people are 100% about. It, Yes, we want to be out here having fun or trying to get out of this COVID funk as best as possible. Um, and obviously, as bartenders, we do provide that. Uh, but there is there is something more with what's going on with this pop up. Um, and if you can do a good thing and have a good time at the same time, it's two birds, one stone. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, I used to own a bar that was uh, we donated 100 percent of our profits to charities that were being threatened or defunded by the current administration. And our tag mm -hmm. our tagline was always "Do good while being bad." Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, two, I love that. Two <laughs> two birds with one stone is definitely you know up my alley as well. Um, listen, it's a good time for us to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we'll be right back and continue talking with AJ about Back to Black in Washington D.C. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their beautiful red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile makes them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at ChooseCherries.com. And we're back. You were listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with A.J. Johnson of Back to Black Pop-Up in D.C., and before we uh, took a break, we were talking with her about um, the people that were contributing to this pop-up. And the word that kept coming up wasn't, you know, bartenders or bakers or what have you. It was storytellers. And I wanted to use that to talk about something that's come up a lot on this show. And honestly, most of the conversations I've been having with people in the service industry since, you know, this whole thing started in March, which is that we have an opportunity now that, the whole thing 
is broken, the thing being the industry that we all work in and have built our careers around. Now that it's fallen apart, we have an opportunity to put it back together better than it was, and it's an opportunity we should definitely seize and not waste. And it sounds like with your shifted focus on just the way that we look at the people that are making our food and are making our drinks, that that's something, an issue that's very near and dear to your heart. How much of that was a part of what you all are doing with Back to Black? Um, I think it is probably the crooks outside of the fact that I believe that activism comes in multiple forms, uh, whether or not you're on the front lines, whether or not you're on Capitol Hill. Um, activism is one of those things that you that can manifest itself how you feel necessary and how you deem necessary um, when it comes to sort of changing the changing how things are done in the restaurant industry that is a that is a huge question right um, white plates black faces was born out of that DMV black restaurant week was born out of that um, it from everything from uh, generational wealth to sort of on the job uh, microaggressions and things like that. Um, and I hope that with this particular pop up uh, with Back to Black, I want to give young black professionals who want to be out there and that want to make a name for themselves um, find an opportunity and find and look at this more so, I guess, as an opportunity to express themselves and to express their voices and to be confident in what they're putting out. Um, be confident in their efforts, be confident in their talents, because um, that is something that um, going into the restaurant industry, I mean, I've been in it for 18 years and a lot of me wanting to get better was a lot of times being told that I wasn't good enough, whether it was verbally to my face or whether it was microaggressions. Um, and for some people, it knocks us down so hard that we feel like we can't progress past or we just want to stay comfortable in where we are. Uh, so with Back to Black, I mean, obviously, I'd like to see more black faces in ownership when it comes to restaurants. I'd like to see more black faces behind the bar. I want to, be, I want to see more black psalms and more black um, uh, servers and managers and hosts. I, I want to see it be as diverse as a lot of these owners are claiming that they are, um, especially when it comes to uh, using or cafeteria style, picking and choosing parts of culture that doesn't necessarily belong to them. We belong in hospitality. Um, arguably, Black people created hospitality um, and service. And so to have us absent from that um, is kind of a slap in the face. And this is where Back to Black, again, we can tell this story, we can show what we can do um, and put it forth in a way that um, is professional and is together and is delicious um, without that sort of stigma of being quote unquote like black owned or it only being for a certain set of people. Um, it really is about creating that platform and hopefully it can change, right? I mean, you've, so you've been doing these initiatives, the, the pop-up just started during the pandemic, but you've been doing these other initiatives for, for some time now. Do you find that, um, your, your, the timing of the civil rights movement that's going on right now is a, is a, is a helpful uh, component? Do you think it's raising awareness uh, in general and then specifically is it raising awareness about the things that you're doing in DC? That's a tough question only because I have been doing this kind of work um, publicly for three years. 
right? Right. Um, I've been collecting stories. I've been gathering things to write a book. I've been, a, you know, a founder of Dean Black Restaurant Week. I've been holding my own cocktail competitions. Um, I've been creating platforms for, for black and brown folks. I've been helping people that wanted to get into the industry um, sort of push past where they thought they could be. Um, and what we're seeing now is, yes, this sort of turn and shift from corporate America that's like, okay, yes, let's focus right on this. Um, and I think for a lot of black people, um, definitely myself, sometimes it, it feels forced. Sometimes it doesn't feel genuine. Um, initiatives that are set out to help people are not really helping the people. Um, empty messages or empty social messages without any real change in operations does not help anyone. Um, so yes, I mean, it's nice to see that it's being brought to the forefront. It is tragic and awful that out of 400 years, it took three people and people being out of work that weren't of the same color as these people that have been murdered for centuries to actually stand up and notice it, that's kind of painful, right? Um, sure. But people had time, you know? Um, and that's sort of what has been pushing this forward, but it's also opening up a lot of, a lot of eyes. So it's, 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 it's double-edged, right? Um, it is very, very good that we can now have these conversations without it being like, oh, that's a black issue, or oh, this person just wants to cause trouble. Um, in their workplace or whatever. Like when things are wrong, they should they are wrong and that should have never been an issue. It shouldn't be easier to talk about it now just because people are all talking about it. Right, uh, but of course there's, there's strength in numbers and it seems like the numbers are, are showing their faces. And I understand what you mean about a little bit of you know, falsehood or, or bandwagon-esque sort of behavior that's going on out there, but I still think that it's, we're moving the needle in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm the oldest one. I'm the oldest one on the air right now. I'm 50, 50 years old. So, um, you know, uh, this this is the biggest move of the needle that I've, uh, you know, that I've experienced, and, and certainly I think a lot of people as well who are older than me. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's all for the positive, even if some of it's, you know, faking it till you make it kind of thing, which I don't like that phrase. I feel like you know, if if you're if you're out there faking it, you're at least trying to make it right. Um, what do you think? Uh, uh, what, what do you see for the future of Back to Black? You're gonna, you know. Um, and the pop-up. Are you going to move these things outside of D.C.? Are you going to bring one up to New York City? I'll host one. That's, the, that's 100% the idea. I think, I think my partner and obviously my, my fellow organizers, like we're trying to figure out how to get this out uh, into other states. Uh, definitely looking at uh, Louisville. Definitely looking at New York. I mean, I'm f from New York. Born in the Bronx, so like yeah. you know, taking anything up to where my family is is always a always a good thing. I think as of right now, it's about keeping people safe. Um, and us as organizers, we just want to make sure that um, you know whatever we do is following the guidelines, and we're 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 being proactive, but we also don't want our help to hurt anybody. So if it's not safe, or we need to quarantine for fourteen days, things like that, like I. I've been working through COVID, so taking off two weeks just to quarantine and then hold a pop-up doesn't really bode with my schedule. But if we can make it work, we're going to make it work. Um, right. And yes, we're definitely looking at taking it outside of Washington, D.C. For now, I think moving Man, I, it around I, the city is good. Yeah. I mean, I, for one, you know, once we can get to a place where safety uh, is easier to accomplish, would be super excited to have something like this come to New York. And, and again, you know, 
if, if everything goes according to whatever plan it is I have, I'll have a space to do it in. Um, yeah. But whether I do or not, there are spaces here, and I'm certain there'll be a lot of open arms to have something like this come and, and celebrate this sort of thing. Um, you're also uh, writing a book, right? Uh, yeah. Back to Black. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so the book is actually called White Place, Black Faces. Um, it has taken um, a lot of iterations. Uh, at first, it was really just about telling the stories of black people in the industry in Washington, D.C. Um, and that I felt was super important because I feel like my path has been hard, but definitely not the hardest. Um, I felt that if I was going to tell a story, it couldn't just be my story. Um, number one, three, four years ago, like, oh, who was I? You know, I, I'm you know, part owner of a restaurant and general manager in a really obscure area of Washington, D.C. Um, and... I, I hadn't had to go through a lot of things that other people have had to go through um, from a blatant racism standpoint. Uh, and so that's what it started out as. Um, and I think now in terms of where the book is, where the book is sort of fleshing out is more so in how to help the situation. Because there's one thing to tell the stories and to make people believe you. Because I think before it was like, no, this is really happening because nobody wanted to hear it. Now people want to hear it, but they have no idea what to do um, from either side. They don't, people don't know how to help. People don't know how to change their situation. Um, people want to know what's the next step. Um, and I think I had to do a lot of soul searching on my end to really figure out how I could bring something special but important but useful to people that have these questions or have these doubts um, about how they should move forward either with their activism or with changing the path um, of their business uh, structure when it does come to diversity and inclusion. So that's, that's where I'm right. at right now with that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, oh, I didn't spot giving that hope. So let's uh let's let's talk a little bit about um the next steps for your back to black pop up because you guys have another one coming up in the DMV. And also to to clarify, because I know we've been tossing those three letters around a lot for people that uh don't have the incredible good fortune of being from the greater DC metro area. DMV does not stand for Department of Motor Vehicles. It is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, the sort of D.C. area tri-state. Um, why we decided to brand ourselves after a notoriously slow and plotting uh, government agency is beyond me. But that's the term. It's out of my hands. It's, it's on the books. It's stuck now. So <laughs> what's the next step for Back to Black in the DMV? Uh, so the next step for Black to Black, I think right now is looking for talent, right? Looking for people that want to tell their stories um, and making sure that we have and continue to provide the resources to be able to do that. Um, I 
from the from the first four people that did it, right? Me, Capri Robinson, Frank Mills, um, Richard Sterling from Thami. Um, we, I, I, I reached out like on a whim and was like, do you guys want to do this? Cause they're great friends of mine, but they're also extremely talented, um, and do their, and run their activism, uh, either parallel to what I do or in different ways, which is great. Um, and I think all four of us sort of decided that like, look, we're going to bring this back into, bring this back into the fold. We know people, you know, and in order to keep this going, we've got to be able to reach out to other people. And so instead of doing the same cocktails with the same people, it only made sense to reach out and branch out and to create new connections and bring other people into the fold, bring other people into the spotlight, um, tell other people's stories, because people had already heard our stories. I mean, I think from there, I mean, if we continue to do four and then, oh, and a chef, right? So five new people every single month, right, is what sort of what we're looking at right now. Um, we'll be able to sort of grow a network of people that has, number one, the tools, but also the confidence to go out there and put their pictures out, put their recipes out, um, give something uh, to the industry that wasn't there before or was being looked over. Um, and I think that's sort of where, where we're going with that. And I mean, just from a media, from our media team, um, Lorena Prada, who's doing all of our Instagram and social um, as of right now, um, and all of our design, um, just having her sort of find new ways to tell our stories and to make them make it make it visually stunning. And then you have Naku and Chris Mayo who do our photography and our videography. They're bringing in people um, and, and really sort of playing around a lot to really sort of beautify and uplift and elevate uh, what we're bringing to the table. Um, and so I think I'd like to see, I honestly, I would like to see this happen in other places, right? Like we can't get everywhere, but I would like to see, you know, people sort of coming together and collaborating as teams um, um, to uplift their neighborhoods and to uplift their cities um, and their towns because that's, that's what we need right now. It all starts, it's all grassroots from the beginning, right? Yes. If somebody has an idea, it can only grow by word of mouth. At that point, you know, it can make a difference. As long as it's for the right reasons and it's genuine, it can make a difference. And so I'd love to see this happen in other places. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I would and as so- well. Uh, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, please, please, as soon as it's safe to come up to to New York City, I will. Well, maybe well, even, if it's at Souther's Bar, he'll be the first person there, but I'll be the second one. <laughs> yeah, but 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 even even still, uh, coming up to to see us in New York would be great. But I think the idea that you you've just floated across, uh, maybe you haven't even articulated it to yourself yet, is this is like a franchisable situation where you can get other people on the same project at, at the same time, so you can have an event happening in D.C. Uh, on the same night as something's happening in Chicago on the same night something's happening in Des Moines, Iowa, right? You can exactly. you can extrapolate this to be multiple positions uh, happening at the same time using the same social media platforms and uh, you know extending your voice in that way. I think that's a great idea. That was our sort of uh, goal with Coup. Sadly, uh, Coup had its own issues. Uh, we lost the space, um, but the the goal was to eventually have it be a nebulous uh, entity that kind of lived everywhere all the time instead yeah. of just somewhere just somewhere some of the time. Um, and I think that's pretty incredible. We are at the end of our time here. So I really appreciate you being on and talking to us about all these very important things. Um, uh, your next event is, uh, you said August 
1st and 2nd? Yep, August 1st and 2nd at uh, Roy Boys uh, in Shaw. So that's 2108 8th Street uh, Northwest. Right, so that's down there in, in the DMV. Uh, and then you've got some social media platforms uh, that people can follow along. Uh, you want to plug those real fast? Uh, most definitely. Uh, my personal uh, IG is White Plates Black Faces. Uh, for Back to Black, uh, we are Back to Black uh, underscore pop up. Uh, you can check out, uh, I think this week we are putting out all of the actual cocktail visuals. Uh, so this week is the the thread is is definitely popping right now. So you should go on there, um, check it out. We're releasing the link for pre-orders this weekend as well. Um, so we'll we'll keep everybody posted through that platform for sure. Awesome. Uh, I'll make sure that uh, these uh, social media um, platforms are posted in our show notes. Uh, and uh, when that link goes up, if you'll make sure to send it to me, I'll blast it out on all my media as well, so people can hear and understand what it is you're putting out, and hopefully they can buy in and get on board. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, well, that's it then for this week's episode of The Speakeasy. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining and listening in. This is pretty important stuff to, to hear coming out of Washington, D.C. AJ, you're a champ down there, and I can't wait to meet you in person, uh, either on your turf or on mine. Uh, so thanks again for being on the show, and uh, I look forward to hearing, for, to hearing what exciting things keep coming from you, and I also look forward to your forthcoming book. Um, so thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate both of you. All right. Anytime. That's Thank it, you. everybody. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.